This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, parts by 5782, everybody. I, I, I got to tell you all, this is by far my favorite, by far, of the different tour that I will ever say in my life. There are going to be, like, there's the best different tour, which I like every single week, and then there's the great different tour that I say every single week, but there is nothing that compares to water sheep. And if you know what water sheep are, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't know what, I, what water sheep are, then you might as well not be here. I, I honestly, you, you, you should really, you're going to have to pay attention. Because this is the greatest. The water sheep are by far, it's the fa- favorite. So it's in the middle, okay? So we'll get to it. The psuke that we're dealing with this week is Paraglamet Puzzle says, Lamet Zion, it says, Yaakov took a, a, a stick of moist poplar, hazel, and chestnut. He peeled them with white stripes. There was a white underneath that was naturally on the sticks. And in He then set up those sticks that he peeled in the ducts of the watering troughs. So that opposite the when the sheep would come to drink opposite the others, so they warmed up when they came to drink. So Yaakov told Lavan, and we know this, he was leaving in order to make a Parnasi. He had been there for 14 years. He had worked for Leah, he had worked for Rachel. He had had 11 of the Shvatim. Yosef Atzadik was born. He was ready to leave. He's ready to go. And now he wanted to make it on his own. Lavan said to him, look, I'll allow you to take over my flocks. He realized that the bracha that he had had with his flocks over the last bunch of years had been because of Yaakov. So he said, look, I'll make sure that it's there. Although Chazal tell us that Lavan switched the demands and the stipulations many times, in the end they all agreed that all the sheep that were born spotted or other markings or whatever it was would belong to Yaakov. Yaakov then went and did this, whatever this is, to ensure that the sheep were going to be born striped spots and whatever it was, all these markings that that was going to be. So what exactly did Yaakov do? What exactly did he do in order to get these sheep? So Rashi says he stripped off the bark of these pieces of wood, placed them near the area where his flocks would gather to drink. The sheep would look at those sticks, they would stare at them, become startled by the colors, their eyes not being able to take the stripy colors that are right in front of them, and would back up a bit into the male sheep that were behind them, causing them to become pregnant. And because they were looking at the striped sticks while being together with the males, therefore, their babies had strange markings on them. All the markings came from being together with the sheep while staring at the sticks themselves. So Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, there is an actual process to this. And if you want to have spotted sheep, you would do one thing, striped legs, another thing. You want to do whatever, etc., etc. He calls this a dvar chachma, he calls it, something of wisdom. And so teva, something natural as well, mixed in with a miracle. On the other hand, he says, there is a natural aspect to this. There's something natural as well. Right? In which we say they saw stripes and spots while conceiving. So there's Rashi's shot, right? The idea of natural looking at the stripes and spots causes the babies to be that way. He calls it that way. And he calls it a Dvar Chochma as well to know what you do in each case. On the other hand, says the Rabbeinu Bechaya, it was an absolute miracle that the mother's DNA did not get involved. Her genetics didn't affect the sheep at all. There is absolutely no question, says Rabbeinu Bechaya, this is miraculous. And it's called Siyua Eloki. He was helped by God to have all this. Smorno adds on. And look, this is based on a Gemara, that what a person thinks about at the time of conception will affect the baby that is conceived. It will cause it to look like and even act like 
what that person is seeing at that time. That's how the Sforno puts it. Now, I will remind everybody that Rabbeinu Ovadia Misforno was a doctor. This must have been something that they understood back then. And although we don't understand how genetics can be affected by what a person sees, this is something that the Sforno felt was enough. And Rashi felt that's real. That Srora Mor says something, sometimes natural occurrences are affected by the power of sight. Similar to how one's appetite is stimulated when you see something that you want to eat. Somehow, you just look at something and you want to eat it, your stomach growls. You feel like you want to eat something. So too, that allows for a baby to be born in a certain way. That's how the Torah more says it. This is the reason why Rabbi Yochan, anybody knows the Gemara Brachos Stavchov, he could not see out of his eyes. He had these huge long eyelashes that covered up his eyes completely so he couldn't see out of them. But he sat outside the mikvah. When the women would come up from the mikvah, they would look at Rabbi Yochan. Rabbi Yochan was very beautiful. Well, in some way, shape, or form, he had a shine to him that allowed everybody to see, everyone to saw, see him. They would want their children to be like him. They would think of that glow, that shine, that Talmud Chacham that they saw when they left the mikvah, and they would have children that are Talmud Chachamim like Rabbi Yochanan. That was the idea behind it. The Bechor Shor says, we all see this in Gittin Nun Ches, when the Romans would bring beautiful Jewish boys into their rooms while they were with their husband so they would have beautiful children like them. Although we don't fully understand it, there's obviously something that all, all of these, the Gemaras, that Rashi, the Sforno, the Rabbeinu Bechaya, are all understanding there's something natural behind this and we don't fully understand it. But the Malvim says the process is a little bit different. See, that's Rashi's view and the Rabbeinu Bechaya's edition. The Malvim says the process is a little bit different. Sheep are normally only affected by the color of other sheep, not sticks. The sticks shouldn't have done anything to them. But here's what he did. He had the sticks with the flocks all around the watering trough. So when they were together with the sheep, right, what they saw was the sticks in front of the sheep, causing them to think that the stripes and the spots on the mar- and the markings on the sticks were actually on the sheep themselves. So they were looking at spotted sheep, striped sheep, and therefore that was in their head, said the Malvin, and that allowed them to be what they were. But again, he repeats, this may have chokmah sateva, but there's no question this is miraculous. There's no question. The Malach was involved in this. The Malachim were involved in this, telling Yaakov, you know, what to do through his dreams. As Nayan Latora adds the same, but he says, instead of them looking directly at the sheep opposite them with the stripes in front of them, they were looking at reflections in the water. In the water were reflections of sheep and reflections of the stripes, and that made them think that the sheep were spotted, the sheep were striped, the sheep were spectacled, and that allowed them to have these thoughts that allowed the babies to be that way. Again, still going in the same way as Rashi, just a little bit different in the idea. But the Ksam Sofer in Taurus Moshe says there was something very different going on here. Yaakovina very, was very specific in what he said. He said, I want whom by the Kvasim, something brown seemingly, by the lambs, and guys, we know sheep. Sheep are not normally brown. That's an r- abnormal color. And said, Nakod v'tulu, by the ezim, by the goats. Goats are normally not spotted and with these bands around their legs. That's not normal. Sheep might have a spot or two. Sheep might be able to have the bands, but it's abnormal for the goats to have that. When Lovin heard that, he's like, I'm all in. That's ridiculous. There's no way you're going to have Nakod v'tulu by the goats, and you're going to have Chum by the Ksavim. That sounds ridiculous. So he said, Yaakov did this, and after he had asked for that, he made these white markings on the sticks, so that when the animals would come to see them, they would be born dark with white spots in them. But that was only for the goats. 
In other words, it would fit the description that he had said because he did that for the goats himself. By the actual sheep who he wanted to be entirely brown, he kept them away from there. And if you look at the psukim, this is very meduyik in the psukim themselves, so that they wouldn't see the sticks. The sheep wouldn't see it. Only the goats would. So it's actually the opposite way. So in the back of um, the art scroll chumash, the brand new art scroll chumash, the stone chumash, they have those pictures of spotted and striped sheep and spectacle sheep. It's actually not the sheep that were like that. The sheep were all brown and the goats were the ones that were spotted in spectral, which is a little bit against everybody else. But this is what you came for. Eliezer, this is what you sponsored for. Okay, Rebbe Hoshia. Rebbe Hoshia is brought in the Medrash Rabbah. Rashi brings Rebbe Hoshia and he says the water that the sheep drank actually became zera inside the sheep and caused them to become pregnant without any males around them. The male sheep were taken away by Lavan. There were zero male sheep around. The only sheep that were there were female sheep. They drank from the water with those sticks right in front of them. And that caused them to become warmed up. The word Vayachmena, they became warmed up from that. Drinking water usually doesn't warm up the drinker. It cools down the drinker. Yet this water warmed them up, meaning somehow that affected them to become pregnant. And they became pregnant with little baby sheep that came from the water that they were drinking. Now that is absolutely amazing. This is a Pshat and Rashi based on Rebbe Hoshia in the Medrash. And now we get to water sheep. Okay, this is all what I heard from a, a very big tzaddik. His name was Rebbe Effie Goldman. He heard it from somebody who told him from the Satmarov. I have never seen this inside, right? Because I wouldn't write this down either if I could, right? It is just the absolute craziest thing in the world. So here's the deal. Are you ready? I'm going to say it really quickly because I love saying it quickly because that's what we do. It is our official Pesach Seder. We say it at every Pesach Seder. It's also something you can say in Parshat Kisavo. In theory, you could also do it in Parshat, in Parshat Vayetze as well. And finally, I've been waiting so long to be able to say this. Here we go. These sheep that were born from no males, right? They were water sheep. Now, that's crazy, but this answer is a huge question. The question is the following. At the, at the Seder, we all get down, and it's a Pesach in Parshat Kisavu. We say, Arami Obedavi. Lavan Harami tricked my father, made my father lose out. Vayered Mitzrayim. And we went down to Mitzrayim. What does Lavan tricking Yaakov Avinu have anything to do with us going down to Mitzrayim? Lavan tricking my father had nothing to do with us going down to Mitzrayim. Lavan Arami is one thing. And then Vayered Mitzrayim. But they're not connected to each other. So how could that be? So we gave a share on this before. And I gave 21 different pshatim on it. And it's a great pasuk. It's an awesome pasuk. And we have a bunch of things on Arami Ovidavi Vayered Mitzrayim. But here's the idea. Lavan went up to Yaakovino and said, and we're going to go, he changed it a bunch of times. He said, you're going to have all the spotted sheep. So all the sheep that were born were spotted sheep. So he said, all right, you're going to have all the striped sheep. So all the sheep that were born were striped sheep. So he said, you're going to have all the brown sheep. So all the sheep that were born were brown sheep. Finally, he said, you know what? Forget it. He took all the males. He left him with all the females. He gave Yaakov all the females and said, let's see you have baby sheep with this. You get to keep all the babies, right, that are born this way, that way, whatever it is, but how are you going to have it without any males? So what did Yaakov Avinu do? As we just learned in the Pusik, he took the stick, he put it inside the water. The sheep would look at it as they went into the water. They drank from the water itself. The water made them pregnant. They ended up having babies from that water. Now, there's a halakha. If an animal is on land, it's a Gemara in Chulin, right, in uh, round Nuntes, if an animal's on land, then it requires two simani shechita. You have to shecht it by getting both parts, the esophagus and the trachea, right? Rove at least of both. By a bird, it's in the air that's a little more tahor. If a bird is in the air and it's a little more tahor, you only need one simani shechita, not two. You can do one. If something's in the water, 
right? It comes in the water. It's so tahor. It's like a mikvah in and of itself. You don't need any simani shkita. You could take a fish out and you could eat it, if not for baltashak. So if it wasn't for something a little bit more disgusting, you'd be able to eat it straight out of the water, no problem whatsoever. That's the idea behind fish itself. So you have, right? On the land, in the air, in the sea, right? In the sea does not require any simani shkita. Well, guys, these sheep that were formed from the zara that came from the water were water sheep. They were water sheep. They came from the water itself, which means they don't require any simani shkita. You don't have to shech the sheep. You could just eat the sheep as they were if it wasn't considered something disgusting. But that means that Aver Minachai is not usher by these sheep. Well, these sheep grew up and became the flocks of Yaakov Avinu. Who took care of the flocks of Yaakov Avinu? The Shvatim, the Shivteka. Now, the Shvatim were doing something that Yosef Atzadik went to their father about. He said, the Shvatim are eating Aver Minachai. They're eating limbs from live animals. How could they eat limbs from live animals? Now, first of all, everybody asks on the Shvatim, how could the Shvatim even do that in the first place? The Shevimitz is B'nai Noach. Even Ben Noach, a non-Jew, is not allowed to eat Abram and Achai. How in the world could the Shvatim themselves do it? Right? The answer is, they were water sheep. These sheep were made from the water, which means they're like fish. You're allowed to eat Aver Minachai from fish. It's not an issue. So they were eating from that. So when Yosef Tzadik went up to them and said, Hey guys, you can't eat that. It's Aver Minachai. They told them it's water sheep. Said Yosef Tzadik, it's Marazayan. Nobody knows they're water sheep. They don't look any different from other sheep. It's not like they have gills and little fins, right? They're regular sheep. They look like regular sheep. So nobody knows they're from water. You can't do that. That's what he told their father. And the father told them they had to stop. Right, which started the fight between them, which obviously there were other things involved in, and eventually the Shvatim got so upset they sold Yosef down to Mitzrayim. So because a Rami Ovedavi Lovan Rami tricked my father and gave him water sheep, therefore Vayered Mitzrayim, they ended up going down to Mitzrayim. Now you get it. Now you get it. Oh, come on, th- th- that is the craziest. Okay. Anyway, that is. Something I've been waiting to say for so many years to be able to get that down. But that is water sheep. Absolute water sheep. Now, the Chizkuni. Chizkuni says he used these sticks not just to show that. He made a corral. He made a little corral around the water. He took that, that, that. He moved it right around the water. And he forced the female sheep to be with the male sheep. Listen, this is something that's true by absolutely everything. Genetic diversity is something that's very important for scientists. It's not important for anybody else. Because everybody else tries to make sure that they have the most... You you know, whatever dog they want, whatever cat they want, whatever animal they want, they want it to be the biggest, fattest, best looking, whatever it is. So what they do is they mate animals based on what they want. If I want to have a big fat cow, like a, you know, one of those, why, why help me for a second, the Wagyu cars, cows? Wagyu. Wagyu, thank you, the Wagyu cows. And I would, soft, if I want that, then I'll make sure that they're going to mate with certain other animals because I know that's the way it's going to be. So to a dog, so I want a Dalmatian, I'm not going to go with a St. Bernard and a German Shepherd. That's not going to happen. I know what to do in order to make that happen. That's called selected breeding. And selected breeding has been going on for years, and it may have started with Yaakov Avinu. This may be the first actual example that we have of selective breeding in the entire world, where Yaakov Avinu wanted a certain thing he had. It says that he's going to, that's what he did. He took the stick, put them around the water area, only allowed the females to be with the males that he desired, and therefore what came out with the spot in the striped sheep because he wouldn't let any of the other sheep in. That was what he did over here. It's a super simple answer. It's not like the sticks made them pregnant, like Rashi, the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, the Sforno, etc. It's that he just made sure. Now the Mi'amloes says even further, he says the Malachim, or maybe even clouds, brought sheep and goats from Lovan's flocks, which were spotted and spectacled, to Yaakov's area so that he wouldn't lose out. So he just had sheep 
flying overnight from one place to the other, landing in front of Yaakov, and then after they were finished, bringing them back home right afterward, with Malachim doing that. Others say a flood happened that caused some of the sheep that were spotted and spectacled, etc., to come into Yaakov's area, and that's what ended up happening. Yaakov said, even though they were three days' distance away, a flood came and brought them all over there. However, Ravaria Kaplan says these three plants were specifically chosen. Livna is a plant called Storax. I was going to make a picture of it. It's not so cool looking. Which was believed to have occult powers. And it was sacred to those who worshipped the Vodazar, as we see in Hosea, Perak Dalid, Pusik, Yid, Gimel. He took that storax that had the occult powers and used it for good. It has white blossoms. Its bark yields a brown vanilla-scented resin when it's peeled. So I guess it smelled good. It made the sheep want to be able to drink, etc. And maybe it attracted other sheep to it because of its great smell. And that's why they came together. That's what happened. Now, there was also Rashi and Oshea quotes as being not storax, but white poplar, which is populus alba. You know your plants, right? Avi, you were big into plants back in the day. A tree with white bark, and here he says it's an aspen, a type of poplar, whatever it is. Luz may either be hazel, rashi, radak, and tosis bechoros chesamet aleph. The balitosis over here said that as well. They say it's hazel, or almonds. Rav Sadiagon and the Radak and Shirashim. Armon may be the plain tree called Amma because it peels off the trunk. So it's sort of like Arum, as in the word naked, etc. Interestingly, Rashi and the Radak translate as the chestnut tree, which doesn't grow anywhere in the Middle East. At least we don't know that it does. Maybe it did back then. Yeah, it's sort of like that. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know why it would grow there, but it, it seemingly did. But either way, Rav Kaplan says something awesome. This sort of like takes him out of his normal comfort zone. Again, when you see a big bright purple chumash. You don't always expect something really cool to be inside there. But <laughs> Arya Kaplan fools me every single time with something awesome. And he says, there's absolutely no question that he was attempting to bring out of the sticks direct spiritual energy to affect the way that the genetic structure of these sheep worked. Somehow he wanted to bring it out and allow it to be there. The Zohar brings down that Yaakovin was using very deep spiritual forces to do so in what he hints to later when speaking to the Malachim that helped him in Paraklam at Aleph plus get Aleph. Something is going on here that's absolutely huge. Listen, the Baba Sali's grandfather, this is who the Baba Sali was named for. The Baba Sali's name was Rabbi Yisrael Abu Chatzera. He was named for his grandfather, Rabbeinu Masud's father, Rabbeinu Yaakov Abu Chatzera. The reason why his name is Yisrael and Yaakov is because the Rabbeinu Masud couldn't name his son after himself, after his father. He was too scared of his father to say the name Yaakov for his son, so he called him Yisrael instead. The Abir Yaakov named his sefer, the sefer that he wrote in the Chumash, Machsof Halavan, which is the peeling of the white. If you think there's no Kabbalah involved over here, I will refer you to that safer where he has five pages of stuff that I couldn't even read. <laughs> What's going on in this Pusik? No idea what he's talking about. Baruch Hashem, it's something for me to grow into as time goes on, which is absolutely awesome. There's clearly something up here, and Rav Kaplan says it as a side note. The Chidah says that all the names are specifically chosen for the Hebrew name. Lavan, because of Lavan's trickery, obviously. Armon is in Arum, something that's tricky, like the Nachashaya Arum Mikola Chayos Shabasada, right? The Armumius. And the Luz is Venalozim Magalosam in Mishle based Tesvav, which refers to crookedness. Each one refers to something tricky. So Yaakov took those to get back at Lavan. Yeah, Dave, what are you going to say? So it seems like some of the Forshim are going down the miraculous route or the Kabbalah route. And yeah. Some of the Forshim are trying to answer up in the natural Hold route. on, literally, right here. The Miyamwe says in the end, based on the Rabbin of Achaya, that although there may be ways for this to happen and natural ideas behind it, whatever it is, there is absolutely no doubt this is miraculous. 
There's no doubt, according to every parish, no matter what anybody says, this was Nisi. Because remember, the mother's DNA is not being taken into account here. Her genetics are not counting for these sheep. Somehow, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made sure that these sheep came out exactly the way they wanted it, and that's that. And Rabbi Victor Miller says the Sikum on that, which is absolutely unbelievable. It's one of my, this is one of my favorite Rabbi Victor Millers. I'm even planning on using it in my Shabbos, Shemuzah Shabbos. Yaakov was following the principles of what we call Hishtadlus, where a man makes some attempt right of his own to do business but that's only in addition to his tfilos and his bitachon and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. he has bitachon he knows that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to give him what he wants but you got to do ishtadlus so Yaakov did on his level the minimal amount of ishtadlus that a person needs to do Hashem allowed these efforts to bear fruit that's what Ravigdor Miller says but that doesn't mean that these things, that these efforts can be employed elsewhere and it'll work for you. If you happen to have sheep, Eitan, I know you've been into sheep recently. So if you happen to have these sheep and you want these spotted and spectacle or whatever it is, you might look at the Torah and be like, oh, I have an almond. Oh my gosh, I happen to have the, I have all the poplar. I've got white poplar. You're going to put it inside a little trough and put it in there and you're going to come out with white sheep. It's not going to help at all. It's going to do absolutely nothing. Why? Because what Victor Miller says, simply put, it's like when Akadosh Baruch Hu told Aaron and Moshe to throw handfuls of dust into the air and somehow it became everything all, all over Mitzrayim. It's impossible. This is impossible. There's no physical way that these things happen. There's something spiritual about this that allowed for these things to happen, that Akadosh Baruch Hu allowed for these things to happen, but there's no way you can employ these efforts elsewhere and assume that they're just going to bear fruit and everything's going to be over there they obviously had to start and Hashem did the rest now again that is by some people exactly what you need to do some people are in such a level of bitachon and they're not going to ask other people for money this is not they will do it on their own they'll just say Baruch Hu, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it Rav Yosef Chaim Zunenfeld was told by his wife during the times of World War I where all the money was being held by the seculars, secular Zionists in Tel Aviv at the time they couldn't get to Jerusalem and people were starving in the streets of Jerusalem Rav Yosef Chaim Zunenfeld actually lost 9 of his 11 kids during this time because of disease and everything else that happened to him at the time. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible time for everybody. World War I is a horrible time for everybody in Europe as well. Yosef Chaim Zunderfeld had a very hard time. His wife said to him, we need money. We need money. We don't have anything. Literally nothing to feed the kids. We've been starving for the last couple days. We need to do something or, or everybody, we're going to lose everyone. So if Yosef Chaim Zunderfeld said, okay, went out into the street, walked. A student followed him. This is the only reason why we know this story. A student followed him. He walked this way and that way in the old city, you know, areas. He reached down in the ground, picked something up, walked right back to the house. It was a golden, you got to help me with this, guys. Napoleon, I think is what they called it back in the day. Napoleon is the golden, it was something that had, it was enough money to feed the family for an entire month in good times, let alone in bad times. And that was that. That's the hishtadlus and bitachon of a gadol, of a Rav Yosef Chaim Zunnenfeld. We're not on that level, so we do more hishtadlus than we have bitachon. And what's that level of bitachon versus hishtadlus? I don't know. Everybody has their level for themselves and what you got to figure out for yourself, but that's the level that he figured out. Now, another of Victor Miller, it goes with this. He points out this parsha takes up quite a bit of space in the Torah. There's about 14, 15 psukim talking about how to make sheep. It's so strange. And especially when we're saying that it doesn't work anyway. It was just a miracle. You really only need to say one Pasuk. Hashem let him have spotted sheep. That's all you needed to say. The rest of it is so weird. He says, but this is different. This is the process of building the nation of Yisrael. 
This is the process of it. Making a parnasa to support your children is extremely important. Because B'nai Yisrael, especially at the time, were the purpose of all creation. The whole creation is waiting for these 12 kids to come out. There were 12 kids born from Nahor. There were 12 kids born by Yishmael. There are going to be 12 kids somehow from Esav. And none of them were good enough. We needed 12 kids from Yaakov. Avram wasn't Zoha. Yitzchak wasn't Zoha. Yaakov Avinu was Zoha. He had 12 children. The whole world's waiting for this. The entire world. The reason why we exist is because of B'nai Yisrael. So Parnassah to make sure that they have what they need so that they can do what they need to do properly without having to push themselves or ask people for money or do other things, that shouldn't be taken lightly. That's why we know that Avram Avinu raised cattle. We know that Yitzchak made wells and planted his fields. We know that Yaakov took care of these flocks. These are important for us to know because we have to know that Parnassah is an extremely important thing in our life. And it's not just that. Their work was considered a service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. See, when people go to work and they just go to work because they expect, okay, I need money in order to buy things, so therefore I'm going to work then you're right. Then your work is one thing. Your Avodah Hashem is the other. So you daven for your Avodah Hashem. You go to work because you have to. And then you learn for your Avodah Hashem. And that's pretty much it. But if your work is there because you know this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to do. And I'm going to add on to it. Then the point behind that is your work becomes an Avodah Hashem. They were Ovdei Hashem. It's, it's not just they did something. They became Ovdei Hashem through their work. They were makshivit so much that every pasik that talks about the work of the Avos shows us how our hishtadlus, our parnasa, and work must be treated in the same way as an aspect of our Avodah Hashem. That's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed it to be successful because they truly felt that way. When they went to work in the morning, when they got up, they said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I am doing my Avodah Hashem. There was no difference if they sat down with a Gemara open in front of them or if they were tending to their sheep or digging a well or doing whatever it was. That is that person's Avodah Hashem. That's a a, a beautiful piece from a Victor Miller and really helps everyone understand that everything you're doing is part of your Avodah Hashem. It's not separate. It's not distinct. It is the Avodah Hashem of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's a truly, truly important with Victor Miller. The question that all the Rishonim ask here, and this is what I'm going to have to go through over the next 15 minutes, is why was Yaakov Inu allowed to use such trickery in order to get the means that he wanted to, the results that he desired? This seems weird. It seems like he's lying or tricking. It seems like he's doing something that Lovin didn't know about in order to get more sheep. And that just doesn't sound like Yaakov Inu. Yaakov Inu is the man of Emes. Titan Emes Liakov. Now we know that he did lie in order to get the brachos. Right? There was a Shekhar. There's no question about that. He also said to Rachel, Achivu Baramos, I am Lovan's brother when it comes to trickery. When it comes to lying and tricking, I can do exactly what Lovan does and just as well. And just as well. And even though it seems he was fooled into marrying Leah and then Rachel, the truth is, he got the two greatest women in the history of mankind aside from Sarah and Rivka. That's not a trick. Somebody tricked someone here, but it wasn't Lovan to Yaakov. Yaakov got exactly what he was supposed to get out of Leah and Rachel, which is absolutely unbelievable. So how was he allowed to cheat the system, so to speak? What was he doing over here to allow this to be? So the Marshall answers is a bunch. The Marshall answers that Minadin, any of the animals that were born in Lovin's flocks, should have been Yaakov's to keep. And the reason why is because, simply put, we know that the bracha came because of Yaakov himself. So when Yaakov made this deal with Lavan, and Lavan kept trying to trick him by taking away this and taking away that and whatever it was, Yaakov was just trying to keep what was already his. 
the stuff that was already his. So these trickeries were not trickeries in order to gain more. They were able to keep what he already had. That's the marshal. The Ramban says, there's no question Lovin and Yaakov discussed this. Yaakov and Lovin discussed it. And Yaakov said, I'm going to do something in order to make sure that I have all these steps of sheep. And Lovin didn't believe him. He said, I, I hope you're right. I hope you can get it. These are the wordings of Laban in the Pesach. He didn't believe him. He didn't believe him. Maybe he didn't think that it would actually work. Maybe he never even heard of this before, this type of stuff that he was doing over here. If Chavel says the Machlokis Girsos, if the Ramban thought that Laban knew about the tricks or not and thought that they were true or not. It could also be that Yaakov only did it one month out of the year. He didn't do it every month. He did it one month out of the year and he got from that everything that he needed. He didn't need anything else. All the other sheep that were born he gave to Laban. But only one month out of the year, in other words, five months later when the sheep gave birth, he, get, he was able to keep all those and that was enough for everything right over here but it makes sense according to the Ramban that Lavan knew about it and he was fine with it he didn't hide it from anyone it's not like Yaakov you know, was hiding the sticks and putting them in special places he showed it in front of everybody if anybody wants to see it they can come and see it if they didn't see it on their own that's their fault they didn't believe that it existed or that such a thing was real that's not my problem I don't have to deal with that but the Radak says that the Malach told him in a dream that was a little bit different he was going to have the first year he was going to have a bunch of sheep born that would be spotted and spectacled on their own and then from there, he would selectively breed them. He would take them and be able to go through. So he never tricked anyone. The sticks were only there, right, once it was afterward, but they didn't help at all. It was the Malach that did everything, and the sticks were absolutely nothing at all. Therefore, it didn't matter. There was no trickery done whatsoever. The Moshe Zakanim, the Chidah, and many Akronim say it's true. Normally, this would have been forbidden, going totally against what we just said. This would be forbidden. To do trickery when you didn't talk to the person about it before, which they assume is not like the Ramban, he said, but here, Yaakov was told by a malach what to do. So he followed a malach. If a malach tells you to do something, you do it. The Balitos says, Haraya, this process doesn't work, like Victor Miller just said. It doesn't work. You could do it a hundred times and it won't work. But Yaakov, it worked because he was told by a malach to do it. So he did what a malach told him. So normally, are you allowed to do trickery after you're saying, I'm going to take all these sheep and then do trickery to make sure you get all those sheep? No, you're not allowed to do that. But a malach told him to do it, so he's able to do it. Or, and this is a weird one, okay? The Moshe of Zikanim, the Balitos, say this answer. Im navar tisbaror. With good people, you act well. Vim ikesh tisbatol. And if a guy's crooked, you act crooked right back at him. The guy wants to cheat you out of money, cheat him out of money first. If you're going to do something to me, I'm going to do something back at you. And the Balitos will say, when Lavan took apart his condition leaving him with no choice. There was no way he was going to have spotted or respectable sheep. That's when he resorted to doing this type of trickery. He never... I'm sorry? So, it, it, hold on a second. That, that's part of the question, right? But the Moshe of the Canaan says, this is what Yaakov did. When Yaakov was fought in an underhanded manner, he acted in an underhanded manner and went right back and did something which he says was problematic. Problematic. The Chsam Sofer says this is even more so because Lavan knew why he had all these sheep. He said it's because of Yaakov. He knew it was because of Yaakov. So the fact that he was going around and taking it, taking it away, Yaakov it was, again, as we said before, we, Lavan tried taking what was rightfully his. That's when Yaakov said, I, I'm allowed to keep what's actually mine. And it happens to us in Gullus all the time, he says. We constantly make money for the people that we're under. And they expect us to be able to just roll down and just give them the money that we made for them and just have it be. That happens to us all the time in Gullus. Baruch Hashem, within the last 50, 60, 70 years, it's been a little bit different in America and it should stay that way forever. But for many, many years while we were in Gullus, we made money for our masters and the masters just kept it for themselves and they didn't do anything with it. It's almost like that. 
But the Elisha Shachar asked the question. He says basically what Eliezer just said. Rav Huna, in Brachos Dapheim Abeis, had 400 barrels of wine. He got very upset. All of them fermented and became vinegar. He didn't know what to do. He was super upset. He's looking. None of the barrels were viable anymore. Every single one turned into vinegar. And he sat there. He was mourning. He was mamishing like a velus over his wine. He lost a ton of money. Like his whole business. Imagine your entire business going down in one day. He had nothing left. The Chachamim came to visit him. Right? And he got very upset. He said, how could this be? And they said, what, you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu does a din without a reason? You think HaKadosh Baruch Hu punished you without a reason? So, so, Ravina, so Rav Huna said, if anybody knows anything I did wrong, now just remember, as a timeout, guys, this is Rav Huna. Rav Huna was the leader of the Amorayim in the fourth generation. We're talking Rav Huna's, Rabbein, Rav Huna, and Rav Chista were, were unbelievable gedolim. The Gemara tells us what Rav Huna used to do in Tainus and Moikotan. Rav Huna was the Talmud the Talmud of Rav and Shmuel. Rav and Shmuel, right? With Rav Yehuda at the same time. Rav and Shmuel were his Talmud. His Talmudim were Rava and Rav Yosef. Rava and Rav Yosef's Talmudim were Rava and Abaye. We're talking about our entire Misora comes from Rav Huna. So he, Rav Huna said, they said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu for sure did it for a reason. So Rav Huna said, if anybody knows anything I did wrong, I want you to tell me. Tell me right now, what did I do wrong? I want to know what I did wrong. They said, well, we heard that your sharecropper right, was not paid over this past. Now, the sharecroppers, obviously, guys, you, you have a field, but you can't work every field you own, so they would hire a sharecropper. The sharecropper would work the field, put in the seeds and whatever it was, put in a certain amount of expenses. He would keep a third, a half, two-thirds, whatever it was in amount, and give the other part to the owner, right? So apparently, the sharecropper was not paid his amount after the season was over. That's what we heard about you. So we said, wait, you think, you think that was me? My sharecropper left me with nothing. My sharecropper took everything from me. The only thing I could do was keep the sticks at the very end, right? I kept the sticks at the very end because Imam stole everything from me. He could, took away all the money. I got zero profits from that, from that field. And I know he had profits. I know he did well. So I grabbed the sticks and I kept them for myself, even though normally the sticks go to the sharecropper, the sticks that are left at the end of the year. But I had to make some money. So I grabbed the sticks in order to make some money. They said, we understand. There's a phrase for this. This is the Gemara Brachos. Buster Ganva, Buster Ganva Gonav. After someone steals, you steal back the time of time. And it tastes pretty good. We understand, right? Someone stole from you, so you steal from them. And it feels good. It feels good. That's what you did. Ravuna says, you're right. I'll give him all those sticks. The Gemara says that either the vinegar turned into wine, turned back into wine, or vinegar went up. The price for vinegar went up and became the same price as wine. So he didn't lose any money whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, maybe he made vinaigrette. He figured it out, and he's like, all of a sudden, I got that. That's Rav Huna. Ayala says, Shachar, Rav Steinman asked the question. He says, based on that Gemara, he says, so why was this mutter? Rav Huna was told by the Chamim, Basar Ganva Ganuf. So Lavan tricks you, so you trick him right back? That's mutter? You're allowed to do that? Somebody does something bad, so you're allowed to do something bad? I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure my grandmother, Grandma Ruth, Right, who my first daughter is named after, I'm pretty sure she used to tell me two wrongs do not make a right. You know, what's funny, she would never make a left turn either because she was scared to drive, so she would always make three rights. So she would also say, three rights make a left. So you could say either one. It's sort of that way as well, but it also took you a lot out of the way. Right? One time my mom was driving down McCormick and she was driving and there was like every car was honking and like all the cars were going like 15 miles an hour. 
and she like everybody was passing by this one car. It was my great grandmother who was driving about 20 miles an hour down McCormick in her white car. Like, oh my gosh, my mom was unbelievably embarrassed. But I said, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. She, that's, that's what she did. And now I probably would be very upset. But at the time, it was funny. So why, why is this any different? How in the world could that be any different? The answer is, I mean, number one, you can answer. One's by Jew, one's by non-Jew. You could say, like, maybe by a Jew you can't do this, but by a non-Jew you could. And I guess that's an answer that does work, right? It does work that you could say that maybe by non-Jew in Ikesh Tisbatol and Lavan was considered non-Jew. But I think there's a fundamental difference over here. Yaakov may have been utilizing what the other people were using at the time. This may have been a well-known remedy that people used to be able to make certain types of sheep. And they thought about it and they did stuff like that. This was not a trick in that sense of the word. This was something normative. It was like normative business practice back then. And therefore, almost like how the Ramban says that he talked to him about it before and expected it, it could be that that's the reason why im ikish tispato would apply over here. You can be tricky, not against halacha, like stealing sticks when you have to give it to a sharecropper in order to make a profit. That's stealing. And that is usr, because halacha is you have to give the sticks over to the sharecropper. That's the halacha. That's what you have to do. You can't do that. But what you can do is do something to manipulate the genetics of the sheep that are coming to drink to allow them to be spotted and striped and spectacled and whatever it is. Maybe then you'd be allowed to do it. And only then it's not because they're busser gone but gone of. Yeah. It seems that there's this is a, theme, a theme that happens to Yaakov where he's sort of like... If your Mida, if your Mida is MS, then the definition of you being true to your Mida is knowing when to use MS properly. So you're right. He had to go up against Roshayim, like Esav and Levon, and fight it. Yeah, 100%. Sort of he, had to, he had to fight it. He had to fight it, where he's the man of truth, and there are so many times where he has to say a thing which we would look at as a sheker. That, that's the concept. Isn't yeah. there the concept of if you go up against a Russia, basically the Hakeh Shinov concept? Hakeh Shinov. Wow, we're really into Pesach Seder tonight. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. I guess, you know, yeah, 100%. 100%. Would that apply if somebody's trying to trick It's possible. You yeah, it's teeth. definitely possible. It's possible to be able to do it. Yeah. Or punch him in his teeth. I don't know. Blunt the Blunt teeth. teeth. Blunt the teeth, right? Yeah. I don't know what the Maxwell House Agata says, but I'm pretty sure it's like blunt the teeth or like punch him in the face. I'm pretty sure the Maxwell House Agata says punch him in the face, right? Punch him in the face and kick him while he's down. Pretty sure that's what it says down there about the Russia. I, 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 yeah, but that's the basic idea. Now, again, the Rabbeinu Bakaya, the way that we explained it before, it's also obvious, right? It was miraculous. This wasn't trickery. It's not a problem. Right? We're asking the question, how could he have done such a thing? It's not a problem because it was all a miracle. It was an open miracle. The Malachim told him that everything was going to happen. This is all a nace. And he says, the only reason why he was doing some of this might have been because of Ayin Hara issues. He goes into Ayin Hara over there, how it can affect a miracle from up above, and that's the reason why he had to make sure. But the sticks were nothing. The sticks didn't do anything. The sticks didn't change anything. The sticks didn't make anything. The sticks were there, so that nobody thought a miracle was happening. But there's no question this whole thing was a miracle over here. In fact, the Divya Cheskel says, you know why he made the sticks? Because he didn't want to benefit from Mycenaeism. You can't benefit from miracles. There's a Gemara in Tainus, right? You can't benefit from Mycenaeism. So in order to get around Mycenaeism, he purposely put the sticks in to make it look natural. But he knew that it was an actual miracle. 
He knew it was, but he couldn't benefit from a miracle. So he made it look natural by putting the sticks inside. Does it all the time. I mean, all, when we left Mitzrayim, we came out with all the, the, all the gold and the silver. That's not, that, that's not necessarily a nace. Leaving Mitzrayim looks natural. That can happen. That can happen. When does gold flow? Oh, but did the gold fly into their hands from the heavens? No, it wasn't an open miracle. It was a, a miracle, but no, nonetheless, it looked like, oh, we can explain this. The waters floated there. Trust me, if there were scientists there at the time, they would have been like, oh, it's clear that this is why it happened. Of course they would you do stuff like that, right? No, so you have to wonder, you have to think. When did we do something that was an open miracle that we benefited from? It's based on this command about Tainus Kaftalit. We didn't take anything. Yeah. Yamsuf? Yeah. Yamsuf, it's lit that we walked through. That's a miracle that we benefited from. But we didn't benefit from the walking through. We escaped from the Egyptians. What really we did was is that the Egyptians died in the Yamsuf. We didn't benefit from that. It would have been much better if we would have gotten out in some other way. Nonetheless, it did help us, but we didn't benefit from the actual Yamsuf Splitting. That's the idea behind it. <laughs> it is a lawyer's type of Yeah. No, but this is, ama- this is amazing. This is a real, it's a really amazing thing. Yaka, what were you going to say? Money is interesting in and of itself because it was mala food. Right, so they did get something, and it was supposed to be a payment, etc. Right, the mon, the be'er shomirium, the anani akavot. Now, I, I, I'm going to say something that it's possible that it did not look as miraculous as it actually was. The fact that there was white pasty dough that was sitting in the midboard is obviously miraculous to us because it rained overnight and you're just like, how in the world could all that you know, pasty little like coriander seeds be in the middle of nowhere right out there? But nonetheless, it didn't look miraculous because they didn't see the mun actually fall into their hands. They just woke up, looked outside their door, and they found that stuff, and it tasted like anything they wanted to them. So in theory, that's still physical. I'm not sure anybody saw the Ananiya couple themselves or just treated it as like fog around them. So it would be weird. Yeah. You've seen the desert before, right? I've seen it once. So you, you, you imagine seen... 4 million, 6 million, 10 million people wandering around in the desert. Somehow they find enough food and enough water to survive not only today, tomorrow, and yet. They that's saw something, and yet they're seeing something. Now, agreed, I would think, treat that as an open miracle. Everybody would treat that as an open miracle. But however, it looked natural to the people all the time. So natural, in fact, that when they came there to stroll, the measure says, they looked at people baking bread, and they're like, what did you do? And they looked at it, and they were just like, oh, you see that stalk of wheat over there? Okay, you see that stalk of wheat? You take it, and you find those seeds. See those tiny little seeds inside there? Okay, take those seeds, crush them. Okay, into a little flour. I want you to take a little bit of water, mix it inside and make a little pasty dough, right? And then I want you to put a little mold inside there. Get some mold inside there, make it rise, and turn around, let it sit for a little bit so it rises a little bit, then put it inside an oven, and voila, this is bread. They were like, that's the greatest miracle I've ever seen. How in the world did you just do that? I mean, we look at the mun and we say, there's no way the little coriander seeds could land in the midbar, right? Because that can't be, but if you're so used to it, if they're so used to it, it looked like it was something natural. And the bread looked like something miraculous. That's what I mean. In theory, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have done it in a very, very different way. We'll go on, guys. We have a little bit more about the Ramazim over here, but maybe I'll make a quick share about the Ramazim a little bit later. We have a Chidah and Menusi Techa, the Baal Shem Tov, and the Rabbeinu Yosef Nechemia that goes into the Ramazim of these Pesukim. Let's stop with that for right now, everybody. Have a great Shabbos.